let the games begin. We are the Spy-Fi Guys, and this is Patriot Games. Welcome to the Spy-Fi Guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. Welcome back. And today we have another guest star. We have my friend Lance. So Lance was actually on our trivia team when we found out about Sergeant Stubby, but unfortunately we couldn't make it for the actual podcast. But we've got him here for Patriot Games because he is a big Tom Clancy fanboy. Hello, everybody. Lance, would you agree that you're a Tom Clancy fanboy? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I won't lie and say that, you know, I didn't completely gush and fawn all over myself for hours after you guys asked me to to be on for Patriot Games. (laughs) What got you into uh, Tom Clancy? Uh, well, for one, um, I'm prior military, uh, retired Air Force uh, intelligence analyst. Yeah. So I've always had uh, an interest in different military level things. And the first book that I read of Clancy's was Red Storm Rising. And they haven't made a movie of that one, have they? Which is a complete shame because that is a war movie buff version of the Avengers. Oh. Um, it could easily be a miniseries or a four or five movie saga to it It, it's that in-depth and that long does that feature jack ryan or is that some of his other characters uh Uh, actually it's a complete independent book that he wrote we're trying to remember the gentleman he co-wrote it with but no it has absolutely nothing to do with the jack ryan universe okay because i know a lot of his other books are like all intertwined with jack ryan and then his son later on and then a character from clear and present danger gets his own book series and then video games yes yes (laughs) But does it have any fist fights on speedboats? <laughs> no, unfortunately, it does not. Um, but it does have an Air Force weather officer running around with two Marines over Iceland, hiding from Russians. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> sounds like yeah. an episode of the X Files I watched once. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lance, we're glad to have you on. Do you have anything you want to plug? Do you have an internet presence you want to share with people before we get started? <laughs> Well, I, I wish I did, but most of my life for the past 20 years has been as low-key as humanly possible. So unfortunately, <laughs> no, I don't. Or if I could say, I'm very big on rescuing senior cats. So if you're looking yeah. for the market for adopting a cat, senior cats always need good, loving homes or foster homes. So there, there, there's my shameless cat plug. Yeah, well, <laughs> unfortunately, me and Zach are both allergic, so we can't take you up on that. But maybe some of our other listeners will. If you'd like to find Lance, reach out to us on social media. You know where at this point. All right. So this is our second Tom Clancy movie that we're reviewing. And we're actually, unlike James Bond series we discussed, we went from like License to Kill to uh, Dr. No. So that one was completely out of order. But for this, we're going in order, at least of the movies. But as Lance, you were telling us off air that the order of the movies and the books is completely different. Uh, that is correct. Actually, Patriot Games, as far as the books go, is a prequel to The Hunt for Red October. Huh. But in the movies, they purposely wrote it to make it look like it's the continuation on. That's why you see when they replaced Harrison Ford, or replaced Alec Baldwin with Harrison Ford, one of the reasons was that you know he actually looks older than Alec Baldwin. Right. What's the age difference between those two? I, I have no idea, but I think the scar and the gray hair make him look a little bit older. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we still have Alec Baldwin working all the time, whereas Harrison Ford is 
effectively, well, not effectively, he's close to retirement. He right. occasionally does a movie every now and then, <laughs> and he looks very old in the movies. I don't know. Well, I thought he looked pretty good. I mean, if I'm in his shape by whatever age he is now, I think I'd he's almost crazy. eighty. Yeah, but an eighty-year-old oh, yeah. that can probably still beat you in a fist fight, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> Let's see him versus Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I would pay for that on pay-per-view for oh, sure. Yeah. All right, so shall we get into Patriot Games? Yeah, let's uh, let's get started. So I've got the synopsis from IMDb. When a CIA analyst, Jack Ryan, interferes with an IRA assassination, a renegade faction targets him and his family for revenge. We get a lot of Irish chanting throughout the credits. The opening credits were like Munich. Okay, maybe one of you two knows. What is, I don't, I noticed there was like a bunch of name, like letters and numbers on a screen. Do we know what that was? Or was that just supposed to be like, oh, it's computery and stuff? It looked like the part where they have the SAS team go in. One of the computers has like a list of digits and letters. Okay, that's, that's right, the yeah. only thing I can think of. Yeah, other than that, I wasn't sure what that was. In the credits, we find, okay, well, and we kind of briefly talked about it, that Alec Baldwin gets replaced by Harrison Ford, and then uh, Gates McFadden, in her brief appearance last time as Kathy Ryan, is replaced by Ann Archer. I'm trying to remember, does Sally make an appearance in the first film? She does not. Okay. She is briefly mentioned, I think the one time, Admiral Greer asked how Sally is, and he had the whole thing with the bear. On oh, the, the bear, that's right, that's right, yeah. Right. Do we actually see her? I don't think we actually see her. I don't remember. Her. No. Okay. No. I had a point with me offline, Lance, that bothered me about the Hunt for Red October, because when Greer is asking about Jack's wife, he says, how's Caroline? And me having watched these and the Jack Ryan series, my, in my head, I was like, wait, her name is Kathy. How did they screw that up? Yeah, yeah and actually they didn't. Um, but they did screw it up in the movie, Patriot Games, <laughs> because her actual name is Caroline. But I don't know if it's her nickname, Kathy, comes from a middle name, or she could be a good Catholic girl, and that was her confirmation <laughs> name. Uh, um, could be. But, but I can't believe it's taking them two movies and they still can't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I have another observation about the credits. There's a James Fox in the credits. And I was like, is that Jamie Fox before he was famous? I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No. That's the guy that plays the royal character. Oh, the Lord Holmes. Lord ah, yes. Holmes, yes. Okay. Which actually, he replaced his brother who was originally supposed to play Lord Holmes. Wow, you are a Clancy fanboy if you know that. <laughs> <laughs> actually, in all fairness, I read that off IMDb a couple days ago. <laughs> so, as we were saying, the Ryans are in London. They're having a good time. Jack Ryan and his wife are getting busy in the bedroom. He's giving speeches. Yeah, don't forget that they're playing Monopoly, right. which you know is the game which one of many games which apparently ends friends and family ties. Yes. <laughs> and I right. like how Jack is calling their house, leaving a voice message to whoever's looking after the house. I like that you know, he mentions, "Oh, we forgot about Sally's goldfish." So if they're still alive, feed them a bunch. And if not, find some that are reasonably sized to the same size. <laughs> Which, as a parent, is completely reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Kathy and Jack plan a romantic night together with some candles and champagnes. Right. And then we cut to Jack giving a speech to the uh, Royal Naval Academy about Soviet fleet development, which, of course, once he starts mentioning that, brings me back to Hunt for Red October and how he knows about Soviet fleets. 
after he makes his speech, which he gets a nice round of applause, we go to Buckingham Palace, where Sally is out front, and she's trying to mess with one of the... Uh, are these beef eaters? I think these are the beef eater guards. Yep, you can tell by the yep. hat. Yeah. Yes. Trying to do anything to make him move. Have you guys ever been to London to try to do this? I've never tried to do it. I was always too scared. I also think <laughs> something interesting that the guard doesn't have a ceremonial gun. He has an hmm. M16. Oh, that is interesting. I didn't, I didn't notice oh, I didn't, that. I didn't pick up on that. Wow. I thought that he was going to get killed later. Hmm. But he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So Sally has the map and she's navigating, you know, where to meet with Jack. And this is when we get our first look at Sean Bean, uh, who, conveniently enough, because I could not remember his character's name at first, his character's name is also Sean. Yeah, it really works out, right? <laughs> and it makes him easier to talk about, too. We just call him Sean and everyone knows yeah. what we mean. So he's exactly. there with his little brother, Patty, who is one of two Patties in this movie. That's right. Very offensive. I, I forgot to mention that I'm, I'm very happy you have another Irish movie. Was, the one yeah. we did before was Michael Collins. Lance, I don't know if you're familiar with that. I am. But, That's with okay. Liam Neeson. Yeah. yeah. And this is more of the same of the game, the intelligence game between the IRA, a different but IRA this time. More exciting this time. What's yes. up? We're exciting. <laughs> We're not getting into that. <laughs> I think that's probably our most contentious podcast between the two of us. Um, <laughs> okay, so Sean and his brother are planning. It's his brother's first attack. Mm-hmm. They wear the ski masks. They have a driver. They are going after Lord Nelson. No, Lord Holmes. <laughs> yeah, Lord Holmes. Nelson that's what I said. Was I'm going to edit it so that's ago. what I said. No, okay. no, you leave that in. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> Okay, so and we don't find this out till later. But like, I was wondering as I'm watching this, who are these royals? Okay, so this is the era, like, yeah, it would be the era of Charles and Diana, and they would have kids. So maybe these are like stand-ins for them. But we find out later that he is a cousin to the Queen Mother. I'm like, yeah, that's a kind of distant relation. Doesn't is that, matter. Does <laughs> Doesn't that matter. make them royals though? Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny actually. In the book, Ryan actually does save the Prince of Wales and and Diana and uh, William. They okay. are the royals that are in the That car. makes more sense. Because, yeah, if it was a cousin to the queen, sure, but cousin to the queen mother, I mean, the royalty comes from the father, not necessarily the mothers. So I'm like, does that make them royals? I don't, I'm not an expert on royalty. Anything I know is from watching The Crown and uh, Victoria. <laughs> so, no idea. You know, it's funny in a lot of these fictional movies and books about royals, the problem is always not enough royals. In this, apparently, there are too many. You have some that despair. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so the IRA corners the Royals' car. They drive a truck in or a lorry, since we're in the uh, very the culturally UK. sensitive of you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, behind it and in front of it, traps it in place. They place a car bomb underneath it, mm-hmm. and then they shoot up the front of the car. I'm like wondering. All right, with a, with all of that, how are the Royals still alive? So a couple things here. First yeah. of all, we should mention that not only is Lord Holmes in the car, but also his wife and kid are in That's it. right, yeah. And then when they plant a bomb on a car and then blow it up, what car got blown up? Was it one of the lorries? I thought it was their car. Yeah, but then they're pointing guns at a car and right. they say, yeah, get out of the car. I had that question. I was like, how are they still alive if they're like... So maybe it was a different car. Actually, like, it probably if it's being used to transport... VIPs. Most likely that car was probably had some type of up armor uh, uh, to it. So it's not going sense. to be your, 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 your average you can sedan. Run down, 
Exactly. You don't run down to the Lori story and, and pick one of these up. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And, and this, the same with when they were shooting into the windows to the, the driver and the escort. The windows are going to be... I hate when they say the word bulletproof because it's, it's a Bullet misnomer. Bullet resistance? Bullet right. resistance is better because eventually you shoot it enough, it's going to go mm-hmm. through. Yeah. But my one problem with that scene was when the one car driven by uh, the girl. Let's, we can talk about her later. She blocks them off, and there's another car that blocks them off. Any protective service driver within his salt is not just going to stop. He is going to either ram that car. Uh, mm-hmm. He's going to back up into him. He's not just going to sit there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I had kind of a, a nitpicky <laughs> problem with. Uh, something I wanted to mention here that... I know I've read the book or seen the movie or I thought I had because the yeah. only thing I remember from the movie was a part where Jack Ryan is in a car and it gets hit, but they're in like an alley and RPGs are hitting them from above. I guess it's not this movie. It must be <laughs> no. a different movie. That, it, okay. that actually is clear in present danger. Oh, okay. okay. And right. then also yes. from the book, I remembered none of it, but <laughs> I remember they talked about how to avoid getting killed in a terrorist attack. Oh, Lance, does this sound familiar? And they say the way to do it is to change your schedule a lot. Like, if you think terrorists are targeting you, use different routes to work, leave at different times. So that way they can't plan to get you unless they're magic movie terrorists who can come up with a plot, like, immediately when they need to. Well, it's not just that, and we'll get to it at the very end, why and how they're able to get these things. But I guess we kind of skipped over the fact that this is happening right in front of Jack and his family. You know what that reminded me of was The Punisher. Right? So in every Punisher series and movie, it's his family minding their own business in a park. I guess so, yeah. And then bad guys start shooting at each other, and then the family gets killed. But thankfully, Jack runs over to them and brings them down so they they take cover. The driver and the guard who are in the front are dead, and the royal family is still alive. So Jack decides, heat of the moment, all right, I have to do something. So he runs over, tackles one of them, and shoots another, but gets hit in the arm. Or in the shoulder, rather. In the shoulder. Yeah, the Hollywood wound spot. <laughs> yes. And so he has, who we find out, the one guy who we find out is Sean, at gunpoint. And finally, the British, not sure if it's army or police. or They say major. army. Okay. Yeah, it was the guards from the palace. Oh, that makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those guys arrive, and they arrest Sean. And the one Jack killed was Patty, Sean's brother, and he's dead. Yeah, and they, they communicate that in a very insensitive way. They're like, yeah. no way, mate, he's gone, or something like that. I was yeah, wondering but, if we were going to get some Irish ac- accents from you. To I can't do Irish accents. <laughs> but, but in fairness, though, that actually probably is how that would have happened. Yeah, so we should at least talk about, this is during the Troubles, isn't it? Let me see when the movie was made. Do, 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 do. Uh, 1992? 92, yes. So, the yes. book was written in 87. So both of those have been taking place during the, the Northern Irish Troubles. Correct. Right. Which I know very little about other than what I've seen from movies. <laughs> I read a book about it, okay. so I remember some of it, if you guys want to talk about it. But I think the movie's going to have a lot to talk about, so yeah, should probably move on. <laughs> All right, so we have a newscast about the attack. And so mm-hmm. they gave a little bit of Jack's backstory for people who, you know, hadn't seen the first movie. Says he's an author and a teacher at West Point. And Greer's watching this newscast. Yes. Blankly, so, actually. Yes. The voiceover sort of newscast goes from an IRA safe house to the CIA at Langley, then to the hospital where Jack is recovering. And then we get a scene of Sean being interrogated by a guy who looks like a discount Eric Idle. 
and a guy who looks like a discount Rowan Atkinson. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. I, I didn't. I uh, did not think about that. But yeah, and they're doing a whole good cop, bad cop routine. Mm-hmm. And one of them calls uh, him a Fenian bastard. Yeah, a Fenian is an yes. Irish nationalist. Michael that, Collins was, was one too. Yeah. But it wasn't considered to be as much of an insult back then. Well, I, mainly because you didn't add bastard to the end of it. That helps. What made it more of an insult, though, was... Oh, that he was Irish too, wasn't That he it? was Irish yeah. too. So, I mean, that was almost like... Him trying to be like, no, your mother. You Fenian bastard. How's that? <laughs> there you go. There. Yeah. Okay. He won't talk. He won't say anything. Yeah. And then we see a couple. Is this the scene with the pub? Yeah. In yeah. an Irish pub, you have two other members of the IRA, Kevin and Jimmy, for meeting. And uh, Kevin Kevin O'Donnell. And I don't know if you ever get a last name for Jimmy. And beard guy. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Reardon. Ah, yes. Kevin's telling Jimmy that, you know, Sean won't talk, not Sean Miller. Uh, He's a good um, lad, that Sean is. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop. No, I don't no, want the IRA to come after me. <laughs> so and Jimmy the- is apparently more affiliated with the IRA and is saying that, you know, this was an unauthorized attack and yeah. he shouldn't have done it. Whereas Kevin's more militant and is saying, you know, we have to strike at the royals and the ruling class. This is actually one of the pluses and negatives of, you know, comparing the movie to the book. Uh-huh. where the movie actually, I think, did a better job than the book because the person that Ryan kills in the book is just random terrorist guy. It's not Sean's brother. Really? Interesting. Right. That's crazy. But they made it so in the movie to make it look more like Sean had a more of a intense hatred, why he really wanted to go after Ryan, whereas in the book, you know, he's just a diehard racist douche. Ah. They made it more believable for the audience as why he's so, so intent on going, going on after it. Ryan. I'm amazed that you say that, Lance, because that's the whole crux of yeah, the plot it, it, it of the movie. <laughs> it is. You need to give him a motivation that explains the lengths he goes to to get Ryan. It, exactly. Jimmy Reardon in the book, they, they actually do explain more that he's a regional IRA unit uh. commander. Got it. So that's why he's actually getting on Patty's case about this wasn't authorized. No, what are you doing? And so on and so forth. Gotcha. Um, As they're talking, uh, Jimmy notices this redhead and you know, who catches his attention. Because they're in <laughs> Ireland, of course, she's a redhead. By the way, redheads aren't any more common in Ireland than they are anywhere else. Really? Despite, despite what the songs may tell that you. Is don't quote me on that. <laughs> After uh, Kevin leaves the bar, Jimmy goes over to talk to her. Because, of course. Yeah. Sure. And next we cut to this nice, uh, you know, standalone house in Ireland. And we've got all these armed uh, guys who are approaching the house. And the mm-hmm. person who in, is inside the house is Kevin. And he's watching this Irish music video. Carolyn, my wife, looked it up, what it was. But I do not remember what it was. I don't know. I like Irish music, so tell me. I think it, it was Clonaud is the one singing. Okay. Um, that sounds right. I nice. want to it's very if it's the same one as the theme song to the movie it's a song called harry's game which is very irish nationalist irish pride kind of thing my god he it's like dude take a break from the struggle every now and then (laughs) i think you're right yeah well that that's what happens when you get terrorist zealots which (laughs) patty obviously is which is kind of another deviation from the book but we could talk about that a little bit later Ah, fun that's fact that's about fair. that song. It's the first Irish language song to chart in the UK. I believe nice. that. Anyway, so he's watching this music video. One of his guards, Charlie, is outside. Or not Charlie. Well, not a guard. Actually, I was no, slightly okay. unclear about this. The guy who knocks on the door is one of the gunmen. 
Oh, okay. He, he's one of the gun, but he's supposedly like somebody else that is involved with their little brigade. He was coming over to have a little chat, as it were. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway, so yeah, so these gunmen are coming to take on Kevin, and he's by himself. And he, yeah, so he's knocking on the door. Kevin shoots Charlie through the door and kills the rest of the attackers. He has a shotgun with some kind of drum yes. magazine. Huh. Yes. Like those of you who have played the Call of Duty series, <laughs> you can play with this kind of shotgun. But I was amazed that he had it, that it's in a movie at all. <laughs> they're really neat weapons, actually. <laughs> they're kind of, they're really fun. Yeah, so next we cut to Jimmy, who's in bed with that redhead. She gets up, goes to her bag, and Jimmy thinks she's going to make him wear a condom. But no, she grabs a gun out of her purse and shoots him in the head and takes off her wig. She's not a redhead. Oh my god, that's so shocking. And then also she shoots and kills him, which is pretty oh, yeah. shocking as well. <laughs> yes. I did like the line here, though, where he's like saying, you know, you know, the church says that wearing a rubber is a crime. And then she says, well, so's this and shoots him. <laughs> not a, a crime, a sin. Yeah. <laughs> While also wearing a cross around her neck. Yeah. Still be a good Irish Catholic and shoot other bad Irish Catholics. That That's okay. She leaves and Kevin picks her up. So now that we know that they're in league with each other. Moving forward a bit, so we go to Jack, who's in the hospital with the police. And he's looking over photos of the different attackers. Like, he identifies... Sean and identifies Patty. Find out wasn't even seventeen, so he killed a sixteen-year-old kid. That's right. Oof. It happens. Mm. Well, I mean, yeah, not to, yeah. <laughs> but it's not the first time he's killed a person, right? Even if we're counting Hunt for Red October as being after this. Yeah, because he, was he in actually the military. killed the guy. Yeah. In, well, he yeah, he was in the Marines, but the first person that he actually kills is the cook in um, the missile tubes for the Hunt for Red October. If we're going by movie progression. If we're going by book progression, no, he has never killed anybody before. Oh, because he was injured in the helicopter accident shortly after he had graduated from the Naval Academy, which would have been timeline wise back in right around the mid 80s. So we weren't technically at war with anybody back then. He would have no reason to shoot anybody. If he's a first lieutenant, he has only been in for at most three years. Mm -hmm. And then he was in hospital for about another year recovering and traction uh and then was medically discharged so yeah right there you go so as he's looking at these photos and i'm not sure how the british system works it seemed like the one of the like public defenders or for sean was there too because he kept trying to put him like say we don't need any of your other side stuff we just want the facts of what you knew for your testimony No, that actually, that wasn't the public defender. That was the uh, police sergeant. Oh, um, is that? To go back uh, to when the, in the interrogation scene. But he was the actual British uh, counter-terrorist person. Okay, the, guy well, telling, yeah. the guy telling him not, I don't know if he would, was... Um, don't read any papers and all that, yeah. Right, because he, he's trying to, to already eliminate any type of potential bias that the actual public defender uh, in uh-huh. court could possibly use against ryan interesting all right yeah because it just seemed like yeah from what i've seen of tv shows it didn't seem like uh something that they would do in the states for if they're sh- just trying to have you identify anything or say anything give your testimony so that was just interesting to me so they tell him don't read any papers and he's like not even doonesbury yeah that very much ages the movie is doonesbury <laughs> still around i think so i don't know it was around <laughs> for a long time it was and there's plenty, yeah. plenty of stuff that ages this movie yeah but Dewsbury doesn't help. Yeah, so 
we peanuts get a sh- would have been the better choice. Uh, yeah, yeah, peanuts <laughs> is always around. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So we get a little view of Sean being taken to the trial, and then outside as they're waiting for the trial to begin, Jack and Kathy meet Lord Holmes, mm-hmm. and we find out Jack's going to be invested. Uh, KVCO, Knight Commander of the Victorian Order, which made me re- question, like, I thought uh, Americans can't get knighted. They can, but only in an honorary status. So they don't get the Sir title? No. They get the alphabet soup after their name. Mm, which is still um, cool. Yeah. Oh, I... I, I mean, yeah. I, that. <laughs> I could have that, yeah. <laughs> Even if I don't get me called Sir, I'd take the KVCO, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you consider... Or KCBO, like, you know, yeah. You know, Patrick Stewart is an honorary... I'll, I'll, I'll be associated with Patrick Stewart any day. Right. Yeah. yeah, so this is where we get... You, your goof, Lance, about yes. Kathy's name, <laughs> where they call her Lady Catherine. Yes, and that is so not her name at all. <laughs> uh, and then so we get the actual trial. I always enjoy seeing a British trial because everyone's wearing their wigs. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then during the trial, the I don't think the guy's a public defender. I think he's the IRA's think, defense attorney. Or, or he could be like, this is a big public trial. This is a big deal. This is an mm-hmm. opportunity for me. Uh, could be. But, but also they might be like, we have to believe in this system. You know, it's not just American movies that do that. <laughs> well, yeah, so he's badgering Jack. And like their defense is that Sean was just an innocent bystander. Right, who just happened to have a, a ski mask on. A ski mask <laughs> and a forty-five caliber pistol. There's only so much you can do when you're literally caught red-handed. But the most interesting part of the trial, yeah. that whole thing, is when he asks mm-hmm. him, are you CIA? Yeah. Well, not just, are you Are you still an active Yeah, are you service? currently employed? Yeah. Like, I was wondering, what is he trying to do with it? He's trying to sway and make, like, some weird, long conspiracy theory that he's from the CIA sent to kill people on British soil? He was probably trying to establish something along the lines of that the CIA was actually targeting Sean's in, in his character, and that's why Ryan was really there, not for some lame excuse for a beach um, for the Royal Naval Academy. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. Yeah. And then as uh, Jack is steps down from testifying, he passes Sean, and Sean shouts at him at very angry. Bloody proud of yourself, are you? That's a good too. Yeah. And at that point in time, you might as well just go ahead and change the plea to guilty. Yeah, right. He just announced to everybody <laughs> <laughs> that my brother was a terrorist and you uh, killed him, and I just happened to be there too. Uh, anyway, so we go back to Maryland. There's a taxi going to the Ryan house. Sally goes into her room. She notices the goldfish have gone really big, which is hilarious. <laughs> but also, I noticed, and this is just me nitpicking on weird things, but she's got all these posters or like cutouts from magazines of teeny so, bopper guys. Uh-huh. She's nine. Isn't that a little young to be doing that? Do they say she's nine or does she just look nine? I think the actress was nine when it was filmed. So in my mind, that's probably the same. Like, she doesn't look any older than 10. Let's see. Yeah, it's probably not what you would have done if she were actually that age. Like, okay, 11, 12, I can make, but who knows? Thor Birch was actually born in 82. So movie-wise, she would have been about 12. Really? Yeah. But the funny thing is, in the book, she's four. Oh, right. <laughs> and girls mature faster than boys. That's, all right, all right. Very true. Okay, my my complaint retracted. If tw- I was gonna say eleven or twelve, I can see her start that start happening. But yeah, uh, but I do agree that she neither looks nor acts like she's twelve. <laughs> 
I don't know. What do you remember from when you were 12? How did you act? I'm like, I acted. Sullen. Really the answer goofy. is sullen. Every 12 year old <laughs> in movies is sullen all the time. No, that's only happens once they hit that 13. That's when they start. <laughs> yeah, that's when the turnover happens. Yeah, okay. yeah. At least in movies. 12, they're still innocent little kids. There you go. There we go. Anyway, so Kathy's checking the mail. No, I don't know why it's at this moment that she realizes that she's pregnant. It's as oh. she's checking the mail. Well, like what prompted her from the mail? Maybe you're seeing how long ago some of these things had been, and then oh wait, what when the time passes by? I don't. It just struck me as an interesting moment. Like why that moment? Well, this is probably um, somewhere where you can get disconnected between the book and the movie. The way the, the movie plays out, it just seems like one minute we have the terrorist attack on the royals, and then like three days later we have you know the trial, and then uh, two days later you know Jack's out of the hospital and they're back. Which in reality, true. that whole thing would have played out over a series of maybe two months or so. Right, because he's got to recover from his shoulder wound and everything. Right, exactly. Uh, and Kathy already having been pregnant with, with, with Sally... Uh-huh. And plus being a doctor herself, yeah. she probably recognizes, wait a minute, I'm kind of throwing up in the morning. <laughs> um, and the, the line when, when she's like, you know, are you missing something? And she's like, no, but I am. <laughs> Typical guy, it takes Jack, you, you're counting uh-huh. like one, two, oh. three, and there it is. <laughs> We get a cute little scene where they tell Sal, or we actually don't, that's the interesting thing about this. There's a lot of things where we're not shown actual moments, like we don't, we're just as inferred later. Like, so we don't see when Sally's told, we just see the aftermath when she's not happy about potentially having another sim. But as this yeah. is going on, on the background, on the TV is, what's his name? Patty O'Neill, played by Richard Harris, who is completely unrecognizable to me in this. Richard He's Harris for aged. me. Well, for me, he's either Dumbledore or he's King Arthur from the 68 Camelot. So oh, between, between the two, I'm like, I don't recognize him between those two periods. He doesn't look much like either of those people. I think it's the lack of beard that was throwing me off. Because I know yes. when I see Richard Harris in my mind, I think beard. Mm-hmm. Patty O'Brien, or not O'Brien, Patty O'Neill. <laughs> O'Neil, yeah. <laughs> Patty O'Brien being yeah, the bar in New Orleans. <laughs> O'Brien's dad from Star Trek Next Generation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, yeah, so he's on on the news and denying that, that the IRA was involved with any of this. And then so we cut to Sean in his prison cell. The only thing on his prison wall is the paper with Jack's face on it, which made me wonder, all right, first of all, how did he get the newspaper? And also, what did he use to put that up? Like, they're giving him tape inside his jail cell? What? Excuse me, haven't you seen Orange is the New Black or some no, other prison actually. movie? You, you take, like, paper and you, like, wet it, and then it sticks. Really? Shawshank I think Redemption, so. man. Right? <laughs> well, in the Shawshank Redemption, they had Red, who could get anyone anything. So I don't doubt it there. But here, it's like, I don't know. I think a newspaper and sticking equipment is probably something you're allowed to have <laughs> uh, in prison. I don't know. Uh, or, to be honest with you, as, you know, I worked actual counterterrorism for a number of years. I could also very easily see the cops actually putting the picture of Ryan uh, on the wall. Oh, just to taunt him. To, to, to taunt him, to, to get him so angry that he will inadvertently think, give up yeah. information. That makes sense. Um, I would like to think that that was the case. <laughs> okay, all right. I could see that too. All right, so next we go to 
the redhead whose name I don't think we ever get her actual name in the movie said. I think it maybe appears briefly like on that report later on, but we've never said her name. So I just keep referring to her as redhead. I thought Even they said her name is Annette. Yeah, her name is Annette. Okay, really? They say it what? way later in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. say it. Yes. But yeah. I realize now that I keep referring to her as redhead, but we know she's not a real redhead. <laughs> right. Uh, but that's in my notes, so she's just redhead. She go to, goes to a bookstore, and she meets Mr. Cooley and says that she wants to have a book restored. And so she gives him this really old-looking book with a broken spine, and he, you know, gets a book and it opens it up and opens it up to the exact page where there happens to be a note in it. <laughs> right. But that's because there's a note in it. It makes sense. Uh, depends yeah. on how big the note. Anyway, I'm not, for some reason today, I feel like I'm nitpicking on the weirdest things. I mean, yeah, we're not even like 10 minutes into the movie, I don't think. We'll make it Anyways, more than that. Moving on. So he. Well, you can almost the, look at it as a live dead drop. Yeah. So where he knows when she comes in, I am whatever page of the books it is. Uh-huh. I I know to look at page 137 because there is going to be some type of note to look at. Well, that is a fair explanation. So the note is about Sean's prisoner transfer. It gives a location and word attack. What I noticed here is like, if she's not a natural redhead, that is a very good wig because that looks like her real hair. So we go to Sean's prisoner transfer, which I feel like in any movie, and this is one one of these tropes, anytime there's a prisoner transfer, Especially if it's going to be near water. You just know something's going wrong. Especially if the Joker is in the movie. The yes. Joke, no, or anyone. Like, <laughs> License to Kill, which we cover, covered a while back. There's the prisoner transfer over going over a bridge, and of course that goes wrong. Mission Impossible Fallout. like, Or any time there's a prisoner transfer, it feels um, I feel like something's going to happen. There are so many real and tactical things that are wrong with that whole prison transfer scene. Um, that almost make me physically ill. <laughs> wow, that's harsh. <laughs> oh, I was sitting, because I, I hadn't seen the movie in a very long time, and so I, I watched it a couple of days ago, and that whole scene and everything is going down, I'm sitting there with my hand covering my mouth going, <laughs> oh my god, no. That is so wrong. That's not even Hollywood wrong. That's just... <laughs> Alright, oh. so I have a question about things being wrong. Okay. Now seems like a good time to bring it up. For those of you listening to our Red October podcast, which I assume... Lance did. One of our most popular podcasts. For now, yes. One of my major gripes about the book was that there was too much detail <laughs> about things that were not relevant to the story. So oh, if you're interested in like the way a nuclear submarine works, that's fine. However, the fact that you're in the middle of a story and it breaks the flow of the story, I didn't like. So my question to you is, was there a similar amount of detail in the book of Patriot Games? Yes. It was kind of Clancy's thing because remember this is the second book after red october he actually gets into a little more detail on things maybe not so much on the technical side because there's not a lot of techie things that are going on right but one of the things that you know i remember from a lecture that he that he gave once was that i mean he would literally that whole scene in the book he went to that mall with a camera and was you know taking pictures you no know, uh-huh. noting traffic patterns and flow and everything wow. like that I mean, he really went not overboard on detail, but wow. I mean, he was. You could say it. It's all right. <laughs> okay, he went overboard on the on, on the detail. Um, mm-hmm. So when he was when he would be like, you know, Kathy was hiding Sally behind this particular tree on this particular corner. If you went to London, there is that tree on that corner that they yeah. that they hid behind. 
and I, I, I was, I haven't read any of the books, but I will say I always appreciate when books have their and movies have their facts and locations straight. Yeah, uh, like it bothers me. Something I think we'll we we'll probably won't cover it, but what's oh, the second uh, Jack Reacher? Never go back when they're in DC and they say you're, they're on North Street. I'm like North what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Also. What quadrant? Come on, people. I, I think you have to do that when you live in this area. It's just mm-hmm. when you see something Chad, on TV, yeah. just pre- pretend that it's not real and like, you're much happier. Yeah, or like the often mistaken Georgetown Metro Station. <laughs> <laughs> just just let it go. Uh, all right. Anyways, moving on. So we didn't actually talk about Inspector Highland, the uh, Irish cop who was... Eric Idle, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> interrogating Sean earlier, joins his prisoner transfer. And as they're going through the uh, through the route, you know, he's talking to Sean and is like, I may not agree with you, but I understand the the pain and everything else. And there's so I was like wondering, he's like, is he an inside man? I wasn't sure about it. It's and, and like there's a part they get stopped because the bridge is being raised and then there's an explosion going on and they have this moment where they're looking at each other. I'm like, is he like giving a signal? Maybe I wasn't cl- watching close enough, or is it just pure hatred that was coming out of Sean's eyes? I think it was just hatred. That was definite hatred. I think he was playing the good cop when he's like, I, I'm down with the struggle. But then uh, he also says, we're going to put you in the darkest hole in Great Britain. Right. Here's your last chance to talk and avoid that. Yeah, that, that, that was definitely trying the, the last ditch in okay. good cop right. effort. Mm-hmm. So there's explosions. All these gunmen come out. Kevin has the uh, bridge keeper at gunpoint to say, let us in or I'll shoot him. So what I liked about this is... I feel like if this were more of a Hollywood movie, they would have like a thermite explosive or something to like <laughs> blow it. But using a hostage is felt more realistic. Right. And then I also like when Eric Idle was like. <laughs> Not actually Eric Idle. For the right. Inspector <laughs> Highland is like, just open the door and let them in because otherwise they're going to kill the bridge operator and then get in anyway. Yeah. Wait, wait, if we want to go to where, you know, movies versus reality. First off, they probably wouldn't have even transferred him by vehicle in the first place, especially going out to the island. And this is actually something in the book I actually took issue with. Because oh. um, in the book, they also have him being transferred by, by convoy. Uh, but I think in the book, the actual attack to free Sean actually takes place on a ferry, not on the bridge. But a couple things with that. If... When they come out of the prison and they have the three different convoys break off into the, the different sections, there was no helicopter support, which there absolutely would have been. Mm-hmm. The bridge keeper wouldn't have been a bridge keeper. He would have been a cop mm. or a cop would have been in there with them. And in the movie, this is I get that they're Brits and and whatnot, but there is no way on God's earth. They wouldn't have that, a gun? That the three officers in the actual van with Sean would not have been armed. They absolutely would have been, because then their counter would have been, okay, fine, you shoot the bridge keeper, I'm putting two bullets in Sean's head. So you would have had that negotiation going back and forth. And by that time, any quick response force would have realized we've lost comms with the convoy, helicopters, and bad guys die. Also, just the fact that the bridge was up. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's a total total (laughs) idiot ball plot. Yeah. This one scene was my absolute least favorite in the entire movie. So let's let's move on from it then. Yeah. (laughs) I'm getting angry just thinking about it. (laughs) Before we leave the scene, though, we'll just mention that once he gets out, Sean kills all of the cops who were in the car with him. So so that's the end of Inspector Highland, a.k.a. 
bargain uh, Eric Idle. Yeah. But you notice that they never showed him actually shooting the bridge keeper. Ah. So they actually did let him Maybe go. he was in on it. Or, yeah, or that, yeah. Anyway, so we go to the Ryan house in Maryland, and they're leaving for an outing. Almost forgot the tickets to whatever this outing was. I'm, I'm, I'm curious I what the outing was. I think it was an Orioles was. game. I think it was uh, an Orioles baseball that, game. That makes sense. Okay, so Admiral Greer, a.k.a. James Earl Jones, shows up. He's like, I want to let you know, Sean escaped, but it's fine. He's not going to come after you. No. To which Caroline is like, well, if you think it's fine, why'd you come here? <laughs> Which is the first question that jumped into my head as well. Fair. Yeah. Also, Greer asks Jack to come back to that's the CIA. Right. And, and we don't says, hear. No. We don't actually. We don't hear his response to Jack. Like that's one of the things I've noticed a lot of mm-hmm. this movie is that we'll have these like very you know, lead up to whatever the big moment is, but we don't see it, and then we'll just have the people talk about it later. Yes, but we get the impression that he doesn't want to come back. Yeah. That's fair. So, yeah. So he tells Kathy that he said no, and it's like really just like that. No. Mm-hmm. Which is probably a lie, because <laughs> there is going to be a part of him, especially being the analyst that he is, and having, again, movie timeline, having experienced what he all went through with the hunt for Red October, there was no way that there wasn't a big part of him that was like, I want to oh, jump yeah. in, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But if I do, my wife will kill me. <laughs> so, good decision. <laughs> yeah. And seeing how I live with her and not with you. This is exactly why a lot of these protagonists don't have families. Uh, Yes. But that is one of the (laughs) things I do like about Jack Ryan normally is that he, there's always that family aspect or at least the relationship aspect to him where he's trying to balance a real life. And he's more of like a normal person. Yeah. All right. So we, we have Sean is on a boat, cargo boat. We don't, and at this point we don't know where he's going. He's got a nice haircut, trip buzz cut. They chopped off all his nice long locks. They're going to get some training, and they they says you know they can't do that in Ireland. Kevin is telling him you know forget about Ryan. We gotta we gotta focus on the plan. But Sean doesn't want to move on from Ryan. And we have a little scene of Lord Holmes being told about Sean's escape, and his assistant is said Inspector Highland's the one who picked the route on time, so we have no idea how they found out. Mm-hmm. Back at the Naval Academy, Jack's teaching a class about. Greece, one of our navies, and then we here we get Robbie Jackson, played by Samuel L. Jackson, who is I think what the superintendent of the Naval Academy. We don't actually get his title, but no, as a lieutenant commander, he's probably just uh, another instructor. Okay, hmm. and so he hands uh, <laughs> he hands Jack the Order of the Purple Target, <laughs> which is this medallion with a bullseye on it, and definitely plays into military sarcasm. Yeah. So that made me think about, all right, how many different spy like movies and franchises has Samuel L. Jackson been in? A ton. But the real question is, how many movies have you seen where Samuel L. Jackson has hair? There are not as many of those. Uh, fair enough. But I just thought about this and also, isn't he also in The Long Kiss Goodnight? Yes. Yeah. Gina Davis. But I think this was his first, could be his first spy type movie. Interesting. Interesting. Well, and I think we'll talk about this later on, but in Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis... There's someone else who's in that too, who's like also in Born and also in The Wolverine, who's like, all right, is he in every movie where an operative <laughs> loses their memory? <laughs> and it is, but so besides the point. Um, so, and we also have a short scene of Kathy in surgery. So we see that she's very good at her job because she's like doing a retinal surgery. I was like, wow. Yes, that that's her um, her main job throughout all the the Clancy novels is that she is one of the more actual world-renowned eye surgeons oh that's 
Yeah. Talented family. No pressure on Sally. None whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Jack has a short meeting with Robbie. I actually don't remember what they talk about. Robbie was just kind of going into, you know, basically, it's probably, I think, the first time where they actually sat down and talked since Jack's been back or whatever. And he's like, no, what made you do it? And that's, oh, that's where, right. That's right. Oh, it's just rage. Yeah, where he just got, you know, really ticked off, which as a former Marine and all of his action that he did, I can legit see him, you know, without even thinking, family safe, Jump go take action. out terrorists. Yeah. But I, I liked the part at the end when <laughs> he asked, he was like, you know, it just pissed me off. And Samuel Jackson's like, well, you know, here's hoping I never make you mad at me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have Kathy, who's late to pick up Sally. And so Sally's waiting to be picked up from school, talking with all her friends. And Sean is in a car watching them. So I guess Sean somehow got permission from the IRA ups to go and kill a kid in the U.S. He just went off on his own. I mean, we could probably talk about this more a little bit later. But that's the whole premise of what Sean and in their group are trying to do. They're trying to build up their own particular faction within the IRA. In the book, I think they actually refer to themselves as the Ulster Liberation Movement, which they don't mention in, in the movie. They're just trying to be a provisional, different sub-fact, a more violent faction of the IRA. And Got that's it. why they're like doing all these things, but still letting the IRA get blamed for it. So that kind of puts pressure on them, but also can drag people more towards their side. Good. Oh, okay. One of the things I, I kind of laughed at is so Kathy picks up Sally and they're going off and Sean's trying to follow and they get foiled by the crossing guard. I did think that was funny, yes. Yes. It wasn't just the crossing guard, it was also that all of these kids suddenly <laughs> right. pass in front of the van. Uh, Shoot it, kid, but you can't you know, run over three of them in a crossing one. Not even three. There was like a ton of kids. <laughs> oh, <there>. yeah. <laughs> but also at one point, Sean says, kind of cute, isn't she, about Sally? I don't think he would have said that if this oh, movie no, was, it was made. It was, no, it, it, was, no, it, was, it was the it driver. Was the driver oh, was, okay, sorry. Sean's like, is he? Or is she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then meanwhile... He's walking around Annapolis. You guys have been in this area a while. Have you walked around Annapolis? I walked around a little bit, like, middle of last year, because I'm supposed to having a conference there later this year. As of recording, it has not been canceled. Knock on wood. <laughs> I think you mean the middle of 2019. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But right. Annapolis is really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. It looks like they actually filmed in Annapolis because that looked all pretty familiar. As, from yeah, the, there were there were some parts like especially when you have the the flyover coming over the campus mm-hmm. and you know, that gate area where you see the the midshipmen you know jogging. Yeah, that's how I think all was actually filmed on campus. Nice, nice. But yeah, so Jack is walking around and he watches this guy in an Annapolis sweatshirt very suspiciously, and he goes to grab a newspaper from a newspaper vending machine. Remember those? Sure. Sadly. Uh. <laughs> so this scene reminded yeah. me a lot of the end of Munich. Ah, or like yeah. the, the final act of it or so, where, where he's, he's constantly very, yeah, he's looking around. Everything. I can see that, yeah. But in this case, Jack's instincts are right. The sweatshirt guy pretends he goes to that different corner, but then it actually ends up following Jack, and we see he has a gun, and Jack ducks behind a truck and tries to take him out, but gets overpowered. Which I but liked. It, yeah. I so like that our hero doesn't win every fight. Yes. <laughs> but he's saved by the Naval Academy guards who shoot the uh, guy in the sweatshirt. And so Probably the most exciting day they've had their entire <laughs> careers. <laughs> Yeah, they're probably Marine 
um, very junior enlisted. Uh, so the fact that they actually got to take their, their pistols out of their holster for the first time in their career, yeah, that was probably a big moment for them. <laughs> I'm surprised they actually saw it because I felt like he was pretty far down the road and the gun was silenced, suppressed, whatever. They probably, like with most military guys, they're looking constantly down the street and there's about probably about four of them that are actually at that station. There's not just the one or mm. two. So when they saw, you know, probably Ryan acts suspicious, or maybe he even tried to signal them when he ducked behind. Uh, the that's true because we don't see. We just they see like him duck behind the van, yeah. so we don't know. Right? Yeah. Because they, yeah, like you said, he was you know halfway down the block, and those guys got there pretty quick. I mean, granted, bullets travel pretty fast, and you can see the one guy, which I think if you look in the insignia, he actually is a private, and he's knocking on Ryan's door. It's like, you know, Doctor Ryan, are you okay? And he rolls up the window and locks the door. I can't believe at this point. They missed an opportunity to have Harrison Ford say, for the first time in his career, I gotta find my family. <laughs> uh, it could have been the start of an era. Could have. But, so he's trying to get a hold of Kathy because he realizes what's going on. Kathy's not answering her phone. She's on the line with the surgery, checking in on her uh, patients. Mm-hmm. And we get a sight of this giant 80s-style car phone. Oh my god, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> Those are great. But I have a question here, yes. which is, I don't understand why Sean didn't kill Ryan himself. Why he huh. had, like, some flunky do it. Great question. I have no explanation. Probably, and this is pure speculation on my part, it was more important for him to go after and kill Ryan's family because Ryan killed his family. So that it's like, you take, out my, you take out my brother, I'm going to kill your wife and kid. Very Al Capone and Untouchables. No. So I, I also thought of that, Lance. I also thought of that. But I would have liked it if they had made it a little clearer. Maybe. For us dumb audience members. Fair. <laughs> like, he could have been holding up the gun and be like, you killed my brother. That's not Irish accent. He's like, you <laughs> killed my brother, and now I'm going to kill your kid. What this was that Latin. accent? <laughs> I think it was, like, Italian or something. <laughs> well, we were talking about the untouchables, so, okay. Yes. All right, so, Kathy gets on the highway, yep. and Sean is chasing after them. There's a part wow. where Ryan is like, operator, I want to do an emergency breakthrough. I was like, what? Is that, that a thing, thing. That thing yeah. you can yes. do? That back in the day, being the old guy here, mm-hmm. is if when you <laughs> landlines were your, your main thing, like if, if you two are talking, but for some reason I really had to get a hold of, of Christian, say there was a huge Star Wars event that he has to be there for. <laughs> That's not an emergency. Um, I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your credibility just went way down, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> I could call the operator and say, hi, this is no so-and-so, and and this is my phone number. I need an emergency break into, and I would give them uh, Christian's number. And Mm -hmm. she would come over your line and say, we have an emergency break in your line, stand by. And then she would, or he, would disconnect the call and then put my call in through to you, Christian. Interesting. But, and they very accurately pointed out in cell phones, that wasn't possible because there was nothing to physically disconnect. Uh, and they're working because they're using car phones, so there was nothing exactly. interesting. And, mm-hmm. so, and cell phones had a particular number. That's why the operator was able to go, that's a cell phone. Uh-huh. So that can't happen. We can't do that. That's beyond our technology. Of course, this is obviously before three-way calling. Right, right. <laughs> I also like how their number is 555. <laughs> yeah, because every movie number has to be 555. He finally gets through to them on the phone. And I'm trying to he doesn't really say exactly what is going on, but just says that you need to get off the highway to the nearest police station. Right. And so they make a deal. All right, make a plan. All right, head off at that exit. We'll go. Which and I don't think really exists. 
they're trying to be on Highway 50 in, in Annapolis. <laughs> and I, I remember reading somewhere um, that the highway scene was actually, you could tell, was shot somewhere not in Maryland because there's palm trees. Oh, I, I didn't <laughs> notice, I didn't notice that. <laughs> but yeah, someone was saying that, that Kathy actually even mispronounces the street name. Oh. Um, and there's actually no exit <laughs> off of Highway 50 for that road. Huh. All right. Yay, yay, um, Hollywood yeah. and local area. <laughs> yeah, right. right. But so as there, she's on the call, she she like finally notices that Sean is hanging out of the van with a giant gun. Yeah, it was like Which, an Uzi or something, right? Yeah. yeah, it was an Uzi. Okay, so he shoots at them. They like freak out. They try to swerve away. Oh, also before this, there's a really good shot of the enormous van like swerving back and forth <laughs> between cars some pretty cool stunt driving so he's shooting at them and they dodge away but then they ram right into the divider divider like barrier going right between the highway and the uh, exit exit yeah so i thought they easily could have died yeah it's very believable but then sean says they're gone and has like this big old smile (laughs) he's so happy Uh... i gotta say sean is like a monster in this movie he's not redeemable at all no, I mean, the thing is, he's even worse in the book. Because you're right, because he didn't have the family motivation. He's just doing this out of pure hate. Exactly. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, he, and he's also a raging racist in the book. Against Ooh. non-Irish people? Against non-white people. Oh. <laughs> okay. Just in case you couldn't even be more monstrous. Yeah. Yeah, because actually in the book, there is a, how to politically correctly put this, they get uh, inside help from a group of African-Americans who are very anti-government. And so I believe the driver actually in the scene in the book is not an, a white Irish guy. And so, mm-hmm. so Sean has this whole big thing is like, he's very racist, but he needs this guy to, you know, help, him, to help him kill a, a wife and a, and a four-year-old. Ooh. So, yeah. yeah. No. Oh, he, he's, like I said, he's a raging douche. He doesn't even stick to his <laughs> principles. Uh. No. Anyway, okay. so we have Jack, who's still on the freeway, and like he's trying to get off at the exit, but there's a lot of traffic. He looks over and he sees this like giant thing of smoke rising from up ahead, it's like, and understandably, like panics. Mm-hmm. And then we get a shot of uh, the helicopter bringing Sally and Kathy to the hospital. The doctor finds Jack and tells him that Kathy's fine and that the baby is fine too. Mm-hmm. And Sally's in recovery. But they won't know for six to eight hours if she's going to make it, really. And we find out that they had to remove her spleen. Okay, I'm sorry. Did you guys laugh at this part? No. No. You didn't? Okay, so look, for those of you who haven't seen it, (laughs) Harrison Ford is, like, almost crying. And then he says, they had to remove... I can't even, like, say it with a straight face. They had to remove her spleen and then, like, starts, starts crying again. Maybe I'm the monster too, but I thought it was funny because A, spleen is a funny word. And B, it's not like you had to remove her hand or like something that you need to have a normal life. Sure. Right. But at the same time, it's it's still in a... It's a big thing. Yeah. Organ wise, it's like, you know, they had to remove a kidney. Sure, you can still function with one kidney, but life is sure, you know, a lot easier with both kidneys. Same with the spleen. And also, look, you have to look at it from a father's perspective from, from yeah, a father's I'm, perspective i'm sorry if i'm being uh <laughs> insensitive but also from a not necessarily post-traumatic because you know it's you no know, ongoing so just from yeah. a uh, oh yeah traumatic experience his First, wife is there mm. yeah no i i had no, i could see that actually being yeah yeah that way i had no issues with that scene no 
Well, I uh, encourage you guys to look it up on YouTube. Out of context. Don't know the context. <laughs> just Harrison Ford saying they had to remove her spleen and then crying and, and see what you think. So the one part I did have is when the doctor's coming out to him, and he, the doctor is almost very robotic. Hmm. Your wife is fine. Your kid is fine. But we had to remove her spleen. It's very touch and go. Take care of mm-hmm. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. He needs a much manner. better um, unless, he, unless he's like the 1980s version of Dr. House. I don't think that that's how <laughs> that's going to go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have a scene where Robbie comes to the hospital to see Jack. And Robbie and his wife. Sorry, and his wife, yeah, yeah. Yes. And you know it's a wife because you saw her picture in Robbie's office earlier. Ooh, good eyes. I did not catch that. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Also from I, context. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I've got So <laughs> Patty O'Neill is on the news again. And actually, he's not even just on the news. He's on the news outside the hospital. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is pretty ballsy, if you think yeah. about so it. So he claims that IRA is not responsible. And he's sending our best wishes to them. And mm-hmm. then we get the doctor coming out saying that Sally's going to be okay. So they're very happy. And then Patty comes up to him and tries to talk to him. And he gets the Harrison Ford finger point. No. Yeah. Harrison Ford's best when he's mad. Yeah. There was very, the Air, if, if you saw the movie Air Force One, that was oh, a very yes. poignant. <laughs> great, get off great, another great play. Harrison Ford movie. Yeah. <laughs> Which we could cover. Potentially, yes. So. They go to the CIA and uh, they walk over the seal. Okay, just how many? You don't get it. Yeah, I was gonna say how many movies? Not in a row. Almost in a row. Have we got, had like them going to CIA headquarters and then walking over the seal? Lots. I, I think it's probably a, somewhere in, in every Hollywood contract movie that has CIA. That line number thirty-five. You have to show that someone walking over the Great Seal and then pan over to uh, the, the memorial wall that, ah. that shows all the stars. Well, let's actually, this is our first sight of the stars, though, because we covered Parmanu, which mm-hmm. was definitely not real CIA, and like yeah. the seal was completely off colored. Then we had Mission Impossible, which also not filmed there. So we only got the seal. But this is the first time we get a shot of the stars, too. Also, I think this movie is before the walking over the seal became cliche. <laughs> true, so true. Keep in mind. Very well could be. Was this film? I, I think this was probably potentially filmed at Langley. Very well could be because I know that the recent series did film at Langley. Clancy had a unique relationship with CIA and in some cases, you know, the DOD because he went to them a lot for research on um, do you guys do this? Do you guys do this? Because again, his hypersensitivity to attention to detail. So mm-hmm. I could very easily see because they were you know, doing a Clancy film with his relationship with the agency. I could see them being like, yeah, you can do the overhead shot. That'd be cool. Okay, so Ryan arrives, and he's being stymied by this mid-level guy who says, yeah, you're too involved, it's too close to you, we can't let you go in and do your job until Greer intervenes and lets Jack join the team again. Well, not even the reason he says, don't let me interrupt you, you're about to tell him that we're better off without Jack's help? Yeah. Actually, um, Marty Cantor, he's slightly higher than, than a mid-level guy. Uh, okay. Oh, yeah. Um, this, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't remember what his exact position is, but basically, Jack becomes him in Clear and Present Danger. Present Danger. Ah, so, assistant director? It's like was assistant director of intelligence. Something like um, that. Yeah, that's what like he was in Clear and Present Danger. All right, right, so, Jack goes to meet the team that covers terrorism. So, is Rose a character from the books? When he sees Rose, who's this older... Seeming a woman yeah, who's she like, actually, she treats her very warmly and is like, how are you yeah, doing and all that. 
in the book, she actually has a lot more of a prominent role because she's actually the one who's like, I think, heads up that particular uh, team. Okay. I mean, she'd be like the civilian equivalent, probably to a uh, GS-15. So, okay. yeah, she, she's yeah. very high up there. And in, in the book, she kind of still knows Jack, but because remember from the books, Jack had worked with CIA before, but just on a very basic analytical thing. He was not the, he was more of the Jack Ryan from the TV series. Uh, I guess. Or just you no know, random Joe Schmo analyst who actually had a very good day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rose gives him his night table reading, which is all the different reports and things he wants to read to get up to speed. And as he's doing this, he reads, find out apparently Sean's father was killed by the RUC in Belfast in 1979. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Belfast, that's yeah. where we're going next. Apparently, like, the dingy side of it. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, British, I don't know if they ever identify if they're police, or is this the uh, the group they keep mentioning, SO-13? It's SO-13. Okay. So they're raiding a, an IRA hideout. They stick this really cool camera underneath the door to look mm-hmm. in, and then they give everyone a force signal, like mm-hmm. a hand signal. You guys know what that means? I don't. There were Actually. four people in the room, so they're oh. signaling down that there are oh. four people that they had visual contact for. That way, when they when they breach the room, they only see three. They know that then there's know still one missing. Or if there's four, they most likely got everybody. But you still have that plus two uh, mindset to where, uh-huh. okay, we go in, we saw four, we took them out. But we, because we be can't more. see the entire mm-hmm. room, you always assume that there's at least two more. Thank yeah. you for that, Lance. I had no idea. All right. Mm-hmm. And you can also tell they're British because they don't need to shoot anybody when they go in. <laughs> they're it's very true, polite. yeah. They, they take everyone in. They arrest everyone. Jack gets briefed on Kevin O'Donnell, who he is. And then apparently SO13 got a tip about bomb materials in apartment, which is, I think, what we just saw. Right. But mm-hmm. very importantly, they said that, all right, there's apparently there's no way to see through a window into the apartment like the tipster had said. So Jack's already, he's got something in his head and he kind of, doesn't know exactly what, but he's like, there's something here. So he, right. he goes and just, all right, I need to put some water in my face, just to step away from it just for a second. And then maybe you'll see it more clearly after a minute. Which so this, he goes, this, yeah. this particular scene actually really kind of bugged me too. Um, oh. but, mm-hmm. but just for a small nuance thing, I mean, them, them all sitting around and, and talking and you know, throwing out ideas, that actually yeah. really does happen. That's how, okay. especially in the counterterrorism world, you know, how we come up with different things. And this is just a small part kind of that any you know, former you know, intelligence analyst or associated with intel community, he took classified papers into the bathroom. <laughs> oh my God. That I is did the, not catch that. That is like the biggest no-no ever. That's like the second thing you're ever taught on your report in day was you never do that, but they sort of fixed it in a movie goof because when he walks out of the bathroom, he, he doesn't, doesn't have, have the papers. Uh, so either he left them there, which is why they tell you not to take them in there in the first place. Or they they just were like, oops, we shouldn't have done that. Refresh my mind on the timeline. So he goes and he goes into the bathroom, but he, and then he sees the girl with the red hair. Is it before or after? It, it's after. Okay. Yeah. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. Cause he starts to remember the yeah. one with the red hair driving by, but then he sees, the CIA employee, and then he's like, "Oh wait, I also saw her in London." Right. Wow. And they did, and they the did a good job of, of making the the redheaded CIA employee have her hair in the exact same ponytail <laughs> that Annette had hers in. Yeah. Which she's so like doing that same the hair same flip. way. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he realizes, all right, yeah, there's a 
Annette the redhead was in both places, and also that he accidentally went into the women's room when he because he was so lost in his head. Yeah. Do you feel like she was hitting on him, by the way? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Sean is in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> Jack goes back into the terrorism group and realizes they're looking for a breakoff IRA group and that they should be looking for the redhead because if they find her, they'll find Kevin. Which actually is pretty significant because if you think about, especially back then, terrorism was 99.9% predominantly male. So, I mean, uh-huh. saying, hey, we're looking for a blonde guy with short hair. <laughs> doesn't you know, narrow down yeah has a funny accent it could be okay well that narrows it down to 48 you know, of the population of the world but if you start talking about hey we're looking for a woman you know that is um a much more significant indicator of what you're looking for so that that's why it would be easier to find uh sean by looking for her than just looking for sean or somebody some other male associated with him as we were saying, is Sean is on a helicopter to North Africa. And Kevin's already there, and Annette's with him. And this is when Sean finds out that the Ryans aren't dead. Which I didn't, until they said this out loud, I didn't realize, oh yeah, he wouldn't know, because he's pretty much incommunicado with everyone. Right. Before the internet, yeah. Yeah. As you've said before, uh, Lance, this is when we really get sort of their plan, which is they've started a war between the IRA and the British cops and military. And so basically, if they take each other out, their little break-off group will be the only ones left standing. Exactly. Annette here makes reference to baby Jessica. She's like, America can't handle it when baby Jessica <laughs> yes. fell down the well. But you just shot at one the same age with a submachine gun. Uh, so what the heck are you doing? <laughs> Kevin wants Sean to give up the thing with the Ryans. He's like, just let it go, dude. Well, she was uh, also, I think, making the mistake of thinking that you know, shooting at Sally and, and Kathy, that mm-hmm. that somehow is going to you know, put the fear of the Irish gods into America. Mm-hmm. But that, so she actually makes a horrible analysis in comparing the two. <laughs> Something I was thinking about, and Lance, maybe you know more since you seem to be the file of knowledge about a lot of things. Was the IRA got a lot of financial support from Americans, not the American government, but individual but, American, private American citizens. So yes, it seems that to is me true. like America is the last place you want to be doing anything wrong. Hmm. Oh, it, it, exactly. And, and that that's was, why Kevin doesn't want him to go after this. Right. And so, which is partly why, you know, Kevin, it's like, okay, you can go after the Ryans. Because that's going to do two things. That's going to attempt to placate Sean to get his revenge against the Ryans. But that's also going to irritate a whole bunch of Irish Americans. Ah. Mm-hmm. And they even kind of, to, when we get to you know, the scene where Ryan walks into the bar. Which that actually would pretty have, shortly, yeah. Yeah, that actually would have been probably more effective in Boston as opposed to Washington, D.C. Yeah. <laughs> but the point was still there. My question, and I haven't looked up any of this, so I don't know. But how much support did the IRA really have from Irish Americans? Back then, quite a bit. Quite a bit. It wasn't like just an extreme minority? No. No. Interesting. Yeah, a, a lot. So I was saying you know, up in Boston, you know, you had a lot of Irish pubs that mm-hmm. would have, I don't want to say necessarily that they were fronts, but they were kind of like a, a IRA collection plate. Hmm. So I'm, I'm going to go in, I'm going to buy a $3 beer, $2 of that goes to whoever owns the bar, and $1 of that is going to eventually find its way over to the IRA. Interesting. Soon after I moved here, I went to Bethesda to watch a performance by the band called The Wolf Tones. 
mm-hmm. which I may have mentioned this to you. And they are like, we love the IRA. The IRA is great. And oh, I was uncomfortable. Well, and one, <laughs> one of their songs is about a guy named Joe McDonald. They're like, here's a song about Joe McDonald. He's a great, brave hero, whatever. So while they were singing, I looked him up on my phone and he went to prison because he almost blew up like 60 British soldiers. Well, like if you've ever listened to uh, a number of the songs by uh, an- another Irish group, Celtic Thunder, uh-huh. or I think there's another one, you know, Celtic Woman, they, they have a lot of very pro-Irish. And if you actually listen to the lyrics, they are not very Brit-friendly. Hmm. Not to get all political here, but there's a, difference <laughs> between, there's a difference between being, we don't like the British, we want the British to leave, we want Ireland to be free, as opposed to this guy who murdered a bunch of people is great. Fair you enough. Know, you know what yeah, I fair mean? Fair enough. And as I mentioned, I like Irish music. There's a lot of rebel songs. They're very catchy, but the politics I'm not okay with because I see it as a lot of like hypocrisy where it's like the British are terrible. They killed a bunch of civilians. The IRA killed a bunch of civilians too, but they're okay because they're on our side. Yeah, but you know what I mean? That's, that's throughout history. Anytime that your side does anything that the other side does too, you're doing it for a good reason. They're doing it because they're bad people. <laughs> Well, the expression goes that patriots often talk of dying for the country, but rarely of killing for it. Hmm. That seems yes. very applicable here. Agreed. All right, so going back to the movie. Right, going back to the movie? So, now, <laughs> back at the Ryan home, we see that they're like installing a bunch of security measures, cameras, maybe cameras? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It looks like cameras and a security system. And Jack gets a call from Irish accent. How's the yep. family? And I couldn't actually identify that this was this was Sean, but apparently, according to context, it's Sean. Yeah. Yes. Kathy hears it, and she's upset and angry, and she says, he's, he's never going to leave us alone. And so Jack tries to comfort her, and she says, you get him. I don't care what you'd have to do. Whatever it takes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Which was, was kind of like very Rocky III-ish. <laughs> when, <laughs> Adrian, when Rocky, you know, he, he's all worried about his family. Adrian, his wife, doesn't want him to fight anymore because, you know, after you know, oh, yeah. the first two Rocky movies. <laughs> but then she wakes up from a coma, oh, and then she's like, right. win, Rocky, win. And then he just, you know, <laughs> goes off and does Rocky da, things. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so we get to the Irish bar that we talked about a little bit earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. So Jack goes in, and he finds Patty O'Neill. Can I buy you a drink? And say, no, maybe I'll buy you one. And they get some whiskey. And Jack says that he knows that the IRA isn't responsible, but because they, you know, they go on the news and they lie and lie and lie so much, mm-hmm. well, no one believes IRA. Yep. And Jack wants to know where Sean is, but Patty refuses to sell him out. Mm-hmm. Threatens to give the media exactly what they want. They'll let them into his daughter's hospital room and give them the wall-to-wall exposure that we were talking yep. about before. Right. That'll damage mm-hmm. the normal, the provisional IRA, which is, of course, exactly what the bad guys want. And will dry up all of the money that comes in from donations. He concludes it all by saying, I will fucking destroy you, which seems like an empty threat, uh, frankly. No, I don't know. This is Harrison Ford <laughs> telling you this. If he said that to me, I'd be afraid. And don't think, too, I mean, he's got very strong connections within the CIA. So if he's telling him that, and that he will destroy him. Which is a matter of public record by this mm-hmm. point because right. of the court case. Well, yeah. but in the court case, he's, he, he has said well, that you know, he is no longer employed. No longer, but he, ha- but he definitely is now. He has connections, yeah. 
Exactly. Also, I didn't notice until like the very end that Robbie's there with him. Yeah, he took Robbie in his backup. Like he said, you don't go into a bar and threaten the IRA's money guy <laughs> by yourself. It's not going to go well. Even though Ryan himself is, an, is a good Irish Catholic boy. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Which is never Still. talked about. No, and that's what I... I where I, one of the things I think the movie kind of drops the ball on a little bit because that would have made it even more interesting dynamic between um, Sean and Ryan. Because you get, you know, these two competing Irish boys going after one, the good Irish boy versus the very bad Irish boy. Well, also the Irish American versus the Irish. True. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I'm a little sad they never actually talked about that. But so back at CIA, Jack is giving a briefing on Sean's whereabouts and what they know. Mm-hmm. So they're in. Benghazi, apparently. So this scene was really cool where they're like, okay, there's a shipping manifest and they escape then and there's ships going by here and then people arrive at nine camps and we can tone it down to this, that, and the other thing. Lance, is this kind of similar to real life? Oh, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. You're taking all kinds of information, um, classified and unclassified. Um, One of the best sources that you have, um, CIA even has a section um, of nothing but open source information. That's right, yeah. And the mm-hmm. and in the spy museum, they have a whole section, like a whole they exhibit do. about open source. They do. And I love a that great section. activity about how you can basically, yeah, in various eras, both present day World War II, and I think even like older than that, I forget what the other example was. They have a good thing where you basically pull whatever intelligence you can for open source. So yeah, that's right. Cool. And you'll you'll have different analysts looking at different things. Like this guy, his job would be to go out and look for the shipping manifest. This guy's looking at whether or not certain act camps were active during that particular time, things of that nature. So yeah, no, that actually was very accurate. And but Jack is able to walk in off the street <laughs> and be like, "Oh yeah, you yeah, know, that that's a bald guy, or this is <laughs> well, a truck." Before like, that, before I even get to those things, what's the thing that tips him off? Yeah, her breasts. I'm not saying it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, not saying <laughs> I'm just saying that. <laughs> yeah. Well, but F- to be fair, breasts. <laughs> to be fair to Jack, this is potentially a you know terrorist camp in Benghazi. How many women do you think are there? <laughs> right, and that's actually what I was pointing out earlier. Yeah. With, they tried to find these particular group of terrorists, and they, they did a good job of mentioning actual different terrorist groups occupying the camps. I did notice that, yeah. And Which, yeah, of probably, course, was true to life. Right, and probably maybe none of the other ones had any women that were in, mm-hmm. especially if they were of Middle Eastern-based mm, terrorists. They would not be dressed as such. Absolutely not. So Jack falling asleep next to Sally's hospital room, but she wakes up and he reads her story. Or after this happens, he goes to the hospital canteen and Patty's there, and he just drops a present wrapped on his table. And inside is a gift. It's a a leprechaun doll, Mm -hmm. but there's also a file on Annette, the redhead. I guess this is, and this is where we find out her name. But I don't think they ever speak it on screen. You just see it in the file. I think they said it like one time Man. when they first got to the desert. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I, th- I, I think they do. There. Yeah. Oh, but never again. So like, that's why I kept calling her the redhead. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, but, oh, so O'Neill did yeah. sell out his fellow Irishmen? But oh, yeah. wait. Well, Jack gives Marty the intel on Annette. And apparently she's not even Irish. She's actually English. Yeah, Which so actually, this selling is actually- him out. This is something that I think the movie actually did better than the book. Uh-huh. Because in the book, Annette is French. French? Yes. Really? And so mm-hmm. it, ma- it makes more of a dramatic thing to have her actually be British. She's actually betraying her own people 
versus right. you know some random French person who probably doesn't like the Brits to begin with. There's more dramatic irony there. Exactly. But Marty doubts the intel. He's like, and, and this is where we get the scene every time in every movie or show. There's the, you're not a field guy, you're an analyst. Someone tells that to him, or he says it. <laughs> yeah, you said that's one of I the things. I can't go to Yemen, I'm an analyst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they uh, say, here, you're, you're an analyst, so analyze that. So <laughs> <laughs> and he says, you asked O'Neill about a girl, he gives you a girl. Of course, it's, he's, he's not going to sell it on his people. But, and I didn't think about this until Ryan says it, he didn't tell Patty that he was looking for a girl. No, he just says he, he said- wants to know. Yeah. All he said that he was looking for Sean. Mm-hmm. That's the only name he so, ever dropped. That's when they know that this intel is real. And so we go back to the bookstore where uh, Cooley is. There's smoke coming from a vent. And it looks like a small electrical fire. So he calls in a repairman. <laughs> I like this to get a mention of Ian Fleming. Right? Yes. <laughs> is that, are you familiar with the... What's your take? You know, mystery? Spy fiction? <laughs> You're familiar with Ian Fleming? And it's like, very hoity-toity. <laughs> I collect rare books. Of course I know who Ian Fleming is. We just don't have any. Uh, yeah. Much too mainstream, the original <laughs> hipster. We find out apparently the wiring is from, like, before the Great War, World War One. <laughs> it seems like a bad combination to have faulty wiring around a bunch of and old... And a lot of books, parts. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the exact spot where the wiring is fused or causing a fire, is where SO-13 has a hit planted a hidden camera. So, <laughs> terrible luck on their part, or unless the camera ex- was itself accidentally causing the fire. Either one's a, a yeah. very good possibility. Yeah. <laughs> but I did like the one line when the, the technician was like, the problem that was caused by the, the wiring is for the Great War, or as we like to call it in the electrician business, rare. <laughs> so he's like, you know, trying to like Go back reverse to his, smack yeah. to the to mm-hmm. coolie. Cooley leaves the bookstore, tells, grabs a couple different books. SO13 apparently has set up shop a few doors down, which makes sense, because you wouldn't want to be too far from wherever that transmitter is coming from. Yep. And so they chase him, they go into a tube station, and they lose him on the tube. He throws them off by doing the thing that I love. The only thing I like more than this scenario is when people like have jackets which turn inside out into a different jacket. But I like the throw them off by giving their hat or jacket to someone else and they chase after them. And I think they do that in Mission Impossible too, right? They did that uh, in Mission Impossible as well, not Mission Impossible 2. <laughs> they did that to another Tom Cruise in Jack Reacher when he gets on the uh, bus. Yes, yes. The guy gives him the hat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, I like that. So Cooley gets away and Lord Holmes is planning a trip to the States and he wants to have dinner with the Ryans at the British Embassy, which... Would have been really cool because I've gone to the British Embassy for the Open Embassy Day here in DC, and they have a nice setup. I like their setup. Sir John is like Ryan. Let's hang out. Like we're like, <laughs> I'm going to be uh, in but, town, bro. You around? Let's well, have it's dinner. not just that because we saw that he was going to be invested, but I don't think we actually got a ceremony, and so this would have been his ceremony to be presented with that. Okay, so it's not just him hanging out with them, but also for that. But. The assistant goes and is going to try to set it up with them. The bookkeeper calls the secretary, or the assistant, and he says, I'm re- trying to reach Mr. Titus. Uh, and he's like, no one here by that name. Oh, is this extension 2619 or 2691? I was like, 2691. Oh, which got my suspicion up, and we'll get to that later. The Ryans get a call from Lord Holmes, and rather than meeting at the embassy... Apparently they have an important event happening this day, so why doesn't Lord Holmes join them at their house? Right. 
somehow their gang has gotten a hold of the itinerary of Lord Holmes as he's going to be in the mm-hmm. States, which again, hmm, what's up here? Yeah, so they're going to hit him while he's in Washington and do yeah. something. Uh-huh. Did you recognize who the guy assisting Ryan is? No, who is scene? that? He's Ted Raimi. Oh, as in brother of Sam Raimi? Yeah, uh, as in guest starring in many Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi movies, movies and shows. <laughs> Usually right next to, uh, what's his face? Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> That's where I saw it, knew him from. Okay, that makes a lot yeah. more sense to me now. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is a movie has a lot of good examples of actual intelligence work happens because you're narrowing it down. Not only is the redhead or Annette there, but that's Cooley, and he's there too. That just narrows down the possibilities. Right. It's not certain, but nothing in life is certain except yeah. for your daughter's love. <laughs> and that oh. was another good scene that I liked in that, especially in the intel community when dealing with, with counterterrorism, you are never, ever 100% sure unless you have 5,000 pieces of information to look at, or you have a few very special pieces, we'll say. What they would call, like in Minority Report, uh, an orgy of evidence. Yes, absolutely. Uh Yeah. So when Jack's like, you know, am I absolutely positively sure? No. Am I got maybe 95, 90% tile sure? Yeah, that would have been good enough for anybody to to go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so he wants his best guess, and I think I've already heard it. So we go back to the camp. Cooley wants to come with Sean and Kevin on their operation. And he's like, they're like, no, you don't have the skills. I was like, yes, I do. I can fire a gun. And he, they throw him an AK, and he has no idea how to fire it. <laughs> right. He also says, they took away my books. <laughs> he makes his books funny. Yeah. He can't fire his gun. Sean's like, sorry, Dennis, and then kills him. Yeah, I was like, whoa, you didn't need to do that. It's because he's a villain, because I'm evil. Yeah. In the movie, he's no longer useful to him. That's true. That's true. I mean, he's not going to go on the operation. He's never going to become useful again as far as, you know, an agent because his, his he's power's been blown. Exposed, yeah. Now, in the book, they actually don't kill him there. Oh. They actually let him do the thing that, that's, that's coming up pretty soon. It still doesn't turn out well for him. Right. Yeah, Yeah. so as you're alluding to, Marty takes Jack into a secure room and they're watching an SAS operation. Yes. Approaching the camp and they go get closer on foot. The overhead feed on one big screen and you have all these other numbers coming in on another screen. This part reminded me of the AC-130 scene from Call of Duty 4. If you guys have played that. (laughs) It's actually the highlight of the series. So the player is in AC-130 and they see like white figures moving around. Mm -hmm. You just shoot them and they go, but it's like silent. And then there's a voice that's like, yep, good kill. Okay, here's some more. Yep, you got them. And the idea is that it's like very clinical and detached and a little unsettling. Mm. And it's like, this is the future of war where it's just killing people from a distance. Mm. This whole scene is like Zero Dark Thirty. It's That's very, what it like, reminded me of. Yeah. 2010, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. They announced that the targets are neutralized. Air support takes out the rest of the camp. And I did notice there was one body still moving that like they could have zoomed in on. It was like was Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. well, like it was moving away, like trying to get away from the... Like... Yeah, he, he was crawling away. Yeah. So then Greer says it's over to Jack mm-hmm. and leaves. And I'm like, what? How do you know that they got the right people? Well, I think he was just talking about the mission being over. Oh, the mission. Um, That makes more sense, but yeah. But I think the other thing, too, and they were kind of like getting into Jack's personality a little bit, was when the SAS guys first go in, and they're just, you know, popping people in tents. There's the one analyst uh, that sits there and goes, and that's a kill. I mean, very Uh, cold. Very. Just like Call of Duty, yeah. Yeah, but at the same time, that's, if you're experienced in that world, that's exactly how you're going to see it. 
you don't see it as a guy getting no double tapped in the head in, in his sleep. You see mm-hmm. a target that has been eliminated that you've been working to get eliminated. Jack's not used to that. Mm-hmm. So that's why he's looking at us like, dude, and he's that, unsettled. Yeah, yeah dude, like, that's pretty freaking cold. Yeah. Yeah. But after he leaves, we find out what the very important event that the Rat Ryans had that they couldn't go to the embassy in DC. Apparently, Sally is coming home to the hospital, which is nice. Hey, Sally. Yeah. In the distance, you see that there's this thunderstorm brewing. I was sure we were going to get one of those storms coming lines, <laughs> which is <laughs> in like so many audio. movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. But. We also see that there's security there to watch after Lord Holmes. Holmes, I like this scene, is making a speech about allowing us to drop in. And Sally is, keeps trying to say you're welcome, but he's not done. He just keeps talking and talking. <laughs> <laughs> then there's that awkward thing. He's like, yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> it's like, am I supposed to talk now? And so Robbie and his wife are there too. And so is Lord Holmes' assistant, who is like trying, who is trying to find the restroom. And... So Jack shows him to one door, but he doesn't go to that door. He goes to a different door. All right, now all the things are starting. Well, mm-hmm. once he got the call from the bookkeeper, I was already like, okay, this guy's a traitor. But it wasn't yeah. entirely all captured together until that point. I was starting to wonder if they had forgotten about the whole traitor thing. <laughs> Which, yes. if we can go back one, just real quick, back to yeah. the whole when they escaped from prison scene mm-hmm. with, with, with the convoy. That's most likely something that even if they did travel by convoy, that the inspector, because he was the one that picked it, he is not going to determine which one of the vehicles that Sean's going to be in until they actually leave. For, one, for that very reason, they actually did something similar in a Blacklist episode this past season when they huh. were going out, where they thought the package was going to be in one of the convoys. Well, it turned out that was the decoy because they had changed it at the very last minute. The other problem that I had is, okay, granted that even though he's Lord Holmes' assistant, Holmes. Yeah. There is no way in God's green earth he's going to be able to get that information without throwing up a whole crap ton of red flags. Like, right. Why is this guy asking convoy rates? Unless he has yeah, his see, own network. That one, I don't really buy. But the itinerary and everything, sure, he will have complete access to all that. As he goes and he takes out one of the guards, kills him and puts him in the basement. And as gun. this is happening, oh yeah, has a gun. And as it's happening, Marty calls Jack. Apparently they found Cooley. There's no word on the others. They need to check all the dental records because it got a little messy, apparently. So there's nothing to left to identify them except for dental records. Mm-hmm. And then the power goes out, which I guess phone lines were separate from the power because he's yes. still talking on the phone as the power went off. Well, e- even now with landlines, they are powered by their own electrical source. So, yeah, he absolutely could be talking through a landline with a power outage. Landline? What's that? <laughs> It's this thing that's got a, a wire that connects it to a wall. It's, it's messy. <laughs> no one likes uh, it. I mean, landlines have a lot of advantages in some mm-hmm. ways uh, in yeah. situations like this, but yeah. it's not worth having one. <laughs> Kathy's lighting a bunch of candles, putting them around. Robbie makes a joke about, did you forget to pay your power bill or something? Mm-hmm. It's because they're ridiculously rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. I mean, to have a house like that in Annapolis, oof. Well, that's, that's one of the things that they don't go into too much in the movie. Ryan also, while he was teaching at the academy, he did a lot with the stock market. He was right. a financial analyst. I mean, I mean they a- talk about that in uh, the series. That's the only part that they really got right in the uh, Jack Ryan Shadow Age Recruit movie. I couldn't even watch that full movie. 
I like Chris Pine. Mm-hmm. I have a very strong affinity for Kiara Knightley. <laughs> but but I, I, yeah. I, I just couldn't do it. Well, Zach, I don't know if you've seen it, but maybe we'll get to that someday. <laughs> I haven't seen it. But with that ring endorsement. (laughs) So Jack figures out that actually the power isn't knocked out because of the storm, because the boathouse. Exactly. Yeah, they have a boathouse. The lights are on there. Mm -hmm. Jack gets on the radio. No one's responding. And there's like a couple of different security people, security companies or security organizations who should be watching. I don't remember what they were off the top of my head. but Uh, They they were DSS. They're not private. They're they're federal. They're Mm -hmm. a protection service for dignitaries, secret service. Think of it like that yeah Uh, because they would be protecting lord holmes they also would have been supplemented by i think maryland state police yeah yeah they're all gone yeah and then we get like little quick camera shots of all of them dead and then somehow jack figures out that jeffrey is evil i wasn't really clear on how so what it is is first of all he like comes out and like starts talking really suspiciously he's in a part of the house that he he shouldn't be in he didn't obviously just go potty and the other guard that is in the house is now nowhere to be found. And Jack probably has realized, you no, know, with the Something's itinerary up. and his yeah. escape, there, there has to probably be an inside guy. That's the only explanation. Someone had to cut the power. Which is exactly right. what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so again, back to, he's probably not a hundred percent sure, but he's sure enough that this guy has got issues. So he like realizes that he has a gun when, Hey, another strike against him takes the gun away from him, interrogates him. When he won't talk, he shoots him in the knee. Loved yeah. it. Torturer. Part. No, this is supposed to be our big hero. Come <laughs> on. Can't get away with that in 2021. Yeah, but you can back in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> so was... while he's torturing him, he also leaves the lights off. Yeah. I was the power just, yeah. off. The IRA show up looking like SEAL Team 6. Yep. And they've got night vision goggles on. And so... Kathy, I think without even being prompted by Jack, goes and takes Sally and Hines. Yeah. And goes for a shotgun. There's a shotgun in the closet, but no idea where the shells are. Which I, which I control I safety. Oh, yeah, no, no I'm, not, I'm not criticizing them. I'm <laughs> just saying this is what happened. Because, yeah, I mean, no, you don't want shells in there, if, especially if you have a kid there. No. Well, right. I mean, it's the balance, right? If you want a gun to protect yourself, you have to be careful with it. But then having safety measures around it makes it harder to get to it. Yeah, and the, no. and the that was not a criticism, just just yeah. for the record. That was yeah. just a, a note, yeah. And it looked like the shotgun she had would be more for, like, skeet shooting than mm-hmm. yeah. home protection. Oh, yes. he's, got the, he's got the vertical barrels. Right. right. Yeah. Which is not what you typically see for a double-barreled shotgun, usually the no. horizontal. So Jack is using all his stealth, hiding and running around. Looks like he's trying to take them out one by one. Sally hides in the clothes in the closet, and Annette is coming after Kathy. And Kathy takes her out by just hitting her with the butt of the shotgun. It was great. It was like, go in, Archer. <laughs> redhead on redhead crime. <laughs> <laughs> so Robbie is downstairs with his wife and Lord Holmes. Has the, uh, the gun that the assistant had. Jack finds uh, Sally and Kathy. He finds his family. Okay. see that they're okay so he's trying to bring them up to the attic and so they put sally up there as kathy is going up she drops the flashlight which sean hears yep and sean was right about to go into the basement to go after whoever's down there but gets drawn away so sean's going after the ryans they're going out the window off of the roof well sean like shoots into the ceiling that's going to be a lot of dry work later misses 
by total luck, misses Jack. Well, yeah, he's yeah. got plot armor. They climb out of the roof. There's nobody outside. No terrorists surrounding the place. But rather than escape, they go into the basement and yeah, meet up with everybody. To find everyone else. And this time is also when Marty finds out that everyone guarding the Ryans is not responding. The Lions are dead. So he calls in hostage rescue team from Quantico. Which, which really should be the Baltimore field office. I was just saying, like, how far from Quantico to Annapolis? Baltimore's closer. Okay. Yeah. But the other thing, too, with, with the alarm system is that once the power got turned off, that would have sent a signal to the alarm company that, hey, something's not right here, that they sure. either would have called the house to confirm that everything was fine, or if they didn't mm. get a response, notify somebody and probably local law enforcement, who would have already been aware that, hey, there are foreign dignitaries here, something's not cool. Upon further interrogation of the assistant, we find that they were going to escape with the boats. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, Lord Holmes and everyone else go towards the boats. Robbie and Jack are behind to see if they can take out any of the other members. And actually, this whole time, I was wondering, wait, they've got, they see that they've got night vision goggles on. Why don't they just turn on the lights to, like, blind them? Which is, of course, what they do right now. Like, all right, fine, right. good, good, good plan. Yep. And so they killed two goons, like two, two nameless guys, yeah. Are they still red shirts if they're bad guys? Ah, uh, maybe not. All right, so they're nameless henchmen. And then they run, and then Sean comes down, Jeffrey, like, sits up, and they oh, just yeah. shoot him. Because Sean's a monster. He's just have to kill everybody at this point. <laughs> and then Kevin's like, remember, we need Holmes alive. Kevin hasn't figured out by now that Sean really doesn't care about that. He is the worst leader on the planet. <laughs> yeah. It's like, bro, seriously. He doesn't quite get the message, I guess. So they, uh -huh. they see these two boats, and I'm like, okay, the boats are a decoy. They never got in the boat. I mean, he pulls an Indiana Jones in the last crusade. We're not going on the boat? I thought we were going on the boat. <laughs> Well, it turns out Jack is in the boat by himself. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's pretty close to that same plot. <laughs> There's two boats there. Jack takes off in one of them. Sean, Kevin, and Annette go off in the other. And then we get cut back to the beach where everyone else, Robbie, Holmes, and Kathy, have, are all hiding where they can't be seen. So now they're safe. Mm. But they all instantly became repelling experts. <laughs> I was wondering about that. <laughs> to like, go down how, the cliff. How did they get down that cliff? Yeah. I mean, Kathy's probably an amazing doctor. I seriously doubt she's ever repelled in her life. <laughs> you don't know. Maybe they go rock climbing. Maybe Tom Clancy is like, oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention this, but they go rock climbing every weekend. <laughs> the book actually has a pretty big different ending than the movie. Oh, okay. Well, leave Tell that for... Yeah, movie. we'll yeah. talk about that in a minute. The boats go off. Kevin again is reminding them, we need Holmes alive. Kevin realizes that Jack's the only one on the boat. And he's like, we got to turn around. We need Holmes. Give up this. And Sean decides, nope, I'm just going to kill you. So he yeah. kills <laughs> Kevin and Annette. Very anticlimactically, I felt. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of, I expected more, honestly, though, of a standoff between Sean and Annette. But, you know, and Annette says shoot. something. And Sean being Sean just, I was like, I'm actually okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> Something I didn't mention, but the part in Annapolis where it's Jack versus the guy in the sweatshirt. Uh -huh. It's like these older movies feel a little more real because like, there's no music. And it was just like grunting, grunting, grunting. It's like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in the sense that it's like very, like, pretty. <laughs> I know it's not really the best comparison. And that's what this part also kind of reminded me of, as ridiculous as it is. Also here... Jack says, come on, you bastards, come on, which is like a Han Solo line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can see that. Sean keeps going after Jack. He is shooting at Jack's boat, which makes it light on fire. Mm -hmm. 
and Sean jumps over to the boat. They start fighting. They get one of the... What is that thing? Is it? It's not a harpoon, or what is that? The anchor? Um, or the no. other one? The, no, the I, I know what you're talking about. Fighting with. I forget uh, what the, the actual word is, but it's just like you use it for fishing. Maybe you use it to push the boat away from the, that the shore. You, you, you can do it with, with that, too. Uh, but, but I forget I, what I have like no idea what it's called. But yeah, so they're fighting with that, and there's a big anchor in, in, the, in the front of the boat. And it looks like you now we're gonna we're gonna have Jack get impaled, but he turns it around and is fighting and punches him, and Sean falls on the uh, anchor and is impaled and dies. Wow. Does he die, or does he get finished off later? Okay, I mean, yeah, all right. So close enough. So I feel it, like there's another missed opportunity here. Oh, because Jack could have said for Ireland, Sean, and Sean could have said no <laughs> for me. <laughs> this is pre Goldeneye, though. I know. Such a missed opportunity. <laughs> so after all that fighting, Sean's like dying. He just jumps off the boat, doesn't even slow it down. He sees that it's going towards this reef or this rock formation. So yeah, mm-hmm. he jumps off the boat and it hits the reef or rocks. I'm not sure which of the two. It's hard to tell because it's very dark. Right. It explodes because Hollywood. So now Sean is definitely dead. Yeah. Or is he? <laughs> <laughs> In any other movie series, I would yeah. say that. But no, actually, here he's probably dead. Tom Clancy doesn't do that, really, does he? Have recurring villains? Or at least villains who die, who you think are dead, but then are actually not dead? I don't recall any. Okay. It's not very, like, soap opera where, you know, you have characters die 800 times, but then they magically reappear later. I mean, I think there are a couple, like, people okay. who are jerks that you see across books, but n- nothing of that. The boat exploded, and at this point, I guess we kind of lost track of them, but that team from Quantico was on their way, and we saw one shot of them, like, coming in their chopper, because they saw the explosion, and now they're come, and we presume, again, this film loves to do that. We don't actually see them pick up right. uh, Jack from the water. We just see the aftermath of them back in the house, as they're yeah. all recovering from shock. And then we get the very last scene of the movie where Ryan family is having breakfast together. Kathy gets a call from her doctor about the amnio. Find out the baby's okay. Yeah. And the doctor's asking, do you want to find out the sex of the baby? Jack's like, uh, I don't know. I thought I, did, I wanted to know, but now I'm not sure. And Sally's like, no, I want to know. I said, like, okay, yeah, let's find out. So the doctor tells Kathy. And Kathy just says, thank you. And that's the end of the movie. The cliffhanger. I don't know what I was expecting for the ending, but I wasn't expecting that. Definitely actually left me wanting more. So good job That's on nice. the movie. Yeah. I do have one question that the movie did not answer, which oh, is what's, what's the deal with Jeffrey? Jeffrey being the, the traitorous assistant. Why assistant? Oh. is he a traitor? Um, yeah, there's no good reason. Yeah, I don't. I would have liked one. I don't even think the book necessarily went into it. I would have to go back and and try to reread the whole thing. But I think he was a traitor for traitor's sake. Okay. Because right. right. I was just curious how someone that high up in the British government became a traitor, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Or rather within the royal family. Yeah. To be fair, there is president for that. What's his name? Anthony Blunt was with the Cambridge Five. He was a leading historian who worked for the Buckingham Palace. All right. There's president for having someone that high up, that close to the royal family, being a traitor. And Clancy right. has a tendency to do that to where he'll put... Um, traitors as it were uh almost in plain sight uh, but at the same time where they are in reasonably powerful positions i think in executive orders there is a couple of classic examples of that of when he does that 
All right, so should we go into spy fact versus spy fiction? I've got a little bit, but I know, Lance, you can tell us what the big difference between the book and the movie was. The book obviously went into a lot more detail of how they were able to figure out and track down who exactly was the, the terrorist as far as you know Sean's group. There's a whole thing of, especially if you're a big fan of forensics and forensic science of, you know, after they shoot at Kathy and, and Sally in on the highway, they go out to some random lake, they discard the, the Uzis in there and they get rid of the van. Well, because you have to have certain movie and, and book, like, you know, a fisherman, I think, finds the Uzi. He's, like, out fishing and reels up. It's like, oh, my God, this, what's this? It turns mm-hmm. it into cops and, and all that different things. Probably the biggest thing was the ending. Mm-hmm. You did have a certain boat chase, and I would have liked to have seen it more in the movie than what they did because, yeah, the ending to me was pretty anticlimactic. Well, where they actually, they, There's this big boat chase through the, through the Chesapeake that actually ends up back at an the Naval Academy at Annapolis. Ooh. So you have you know, other Marine guards getting into chasing them down and so on and so forth. Uh-huh. A couple of other terrorists are, are captured, but then if I remember correctly, I think Sean and maybe like one other person escape um, oh. to where they actually get back onto a boat, but then they track down the boat and they actually arrest Sean. Huh. But I know there's a, there's a point to where there's a confrontation between Ryan and Sean. And this kind of goes back to exactly what you're talking about, you know, when he shoots Jeffrey in, in the kneecap in the torture. Mm-hmm. There's a scene to where they're building up this tension to where Jack is going to, you know, basically execute Sean. You know, he's come after his family, uh, so on and so forth. Kathy actually is going into labor at this point. Oh, what? Um, from all the stress because she is much farther along there. There's no mystery as to what the gender of the child is because <laughs> it's, it's born. But this is actually one of the things that, that Clancy talked about was that, you know, he was like, he was in Jack's position that, oh, yeah, he absolutely would have shot Sean Miller, you know, for coming after his family and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But Jack is supposed to be the strong moral compass, you know, and that's, that's his whole thing throughout, you know, all, all the Ryan novels, that he is constantly always trying to do the right thing. The one book I keep trying to go back to, the actual book, Some of All Fears, is probably mm-hmm. actually the best character of, of Ryan uh, in all the, the Clancy books. Because uh, it, it shows him having you know, all kinds of you know, ebbs and flows of you know, personal issues. To me, that, that was the, the biggest split between the movie and, and the book, was, was definitely the ending. Miller is arrested and tried, and is actually executed by the state. Oh, in the U.S.? Yeah. Yes, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. You read about that later, I think, in... I think it's either mentioned in Clear and Present Danger, Some of All Fears, or uh, Executive Orders, one of those three. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, sure. So, one thing I do have. So, actually, I looked it up, and Patriot Games was the first movie to be allowed to film at the, the George Bush Center for Intelligence CIA headquarters. Cool. So, that was actually filmed there. And then the other thing about for Spy Fact for Spy Fiction is that SO13, so the thing they keep referring to, so what it is is the anti-terrorist uh, branch of the Metropolitan Police. I was wondering about that. But forgot to ask. Uh, Zach, did you have anything for spy fact for spy fiction? Nope. All right. So shall we go into our favorite quotes? Sure. Anyone want to go first? Uh, Lance is our guest. How about Lance? Yeah. Probably my my favorite quote uh, is we kind of mentioned it earlier was when, you know, Ryan very melodramatically, you know, walks across the the CIA symbol and goes into Marty's office 
and he's going back and forth about how he wants back in, and, and Marty's telling him no because he's too close. And then Admiral Guerrero just opens the door, and he's like very like nonchalant, very James Earl Jones-ish. Uh, you know, like, oh, I'm sorry, was I interrupting something? Um, Marty, it sounds like you were telling Jack how we'd be better off you know, without him being here or something to that effect. And, and <laughs> that walks back line. in. And, and Jack just kind of looks at Marty and gives him like this you know, wicked smirk, like, ha dad said I'm good. <laughs> the uh, classic Han Solo smirk. Very much so. So mine is from Robbie, actually. And he says, attention to orders. I have a presentation to make. For service above and beyond the call of duty of a tourist or even Marine, recognize Professor John Patrick Ryan with the order of the Purple Target. And hope that he will duck next time, lest he become part of history rather than a teacher of it. Probably also had a good line at, at the end when Lord Holmes is, is showing Jack what the medal looks like. Mm-hmm. And he kind of leans in and Jack is like, didn't I already give you one of those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Zach, you want to go with your line? Okay, I need you guys not to judge me oh. for this. We're going to <laughs> anyway, we just won't be vocal okay. about it. <laughs> but Christian took mine. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, so I will say my favorite quote is tits. <laughs> <laughs> we were that, too that, polite to say it last time, but I'm oh, not too polite man. to say it now. I just couldn't that, believe that was classic. coming out of Harrison Ford's mouth. I'm like, really? Really? You're going to say that? Yeah. <laughs> I'll group a well, little bit that moment. Uh, yeah, but if you think about it, if, if we're okay with him dropping an F bomb, we should be okay with him. This is this. very true. This is very true. <laughs> We should, yes. All right, so should we go into our ratings? Yes, so as always, we do our ratings between one and ten martinis, one being an absolutely terrible spy movie and ten being the greatest spy movie we've ever seen. So how would you guys rate Patriot Games? Looking at it independently from the book, I would probably give it maybe seven and a half to eight martinis. Do you want to like expand on why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, one unbiased. I mean, I, I thought, like I said, you know, they, they did a better job in the movie, especially tying in, you know, of why Sean has you know, a better reason to go after Ryan Bignard because he killed his brother. You no, know, I thought the way they did, you know, all the, they portrayed the, the analysis, you know, of what went into how they found him was, was pretty realistic. Um, some of it was very movie-esque, but, you know, that, that's okay. But, you know, I, the reason why I downgraded it some was because of, you know, like, just that one scene where they're, they're transferring a prisoner. <laughs> God, that just that makes me hateful of, of, of puppies and kittens. So that, that's a big down thing to me. All right. All right. Zach, you want to go? I thought this movie was very entertaining. Held my interest. Didn't really bother me that much about the inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. Like I said, some of the scenes of violence felt very real. I will give it a seven and a half out of ten martinis. Ah, all right. And I think I'm going to join the club, too, and also give it a seven and a half martinis. Because, yeah, it's, I enjoyed it a lot. And I really appreciated the accurate portrayal of how intelligence works a lot of times, especially the uncertainty of everything. I thought it was pretty solid. You know, I really appreciate you guys having me on. This was so much fun. Um, yeah, we're happy to have you. And hopefully you'll join us the next time we cover another, if you, if you want to, the next time we cover another Clancy movie. Oh, absolutely. But I'll warn you now that if, if you actually do the sum of all fears, prepare for me to give it negative martinis. That's fine. <laughs> I mean, honest opinions. Yeah. Oh, my That's God. That's the Ben Affleck one, right? There's yeah. only one? Yes. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> the book okay. is fantastic. The movie, not. 
All right. All right. <laughs> well, thanks to Lance for being on, as we said. Yeah. And thank you all for joining us. You could find us on social media at the Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And we are the Spy Fi Guys signing off. Thank you for listening to the Spy Fi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a five star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Fi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.